0: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards like Rob Riley, the creative head
2: of one of the world's leading advertising firms.
3: I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment.
2: Listen to a brand new season of Math and Magic on
1: our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.
2: Hey fellow travelers, I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist column for The Atlantic.
3: And I'm Guy Winch. I wrote Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy column for Ted. And this is Dear Therapists. This week, a man struggles to trust his wife again after she has an affair. She said, I'm sorry
1: for everything I've done. I know you were hurt. I would like to work it out with you. Could you give me a chance? I said, why do you want to come
2: back? Listen in and maybe learn something about yourself in the process.
3: Dear Therapists is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and or clarity. Hi, Laurie. Hi, Guy. So this week we have another letter about infidelity, but this one is about the attempt to repair. And it goes like this. Dear therapists, I caught my wife of 13 years cheating At first, we agreed to separate, and were going through the early stages of divorce. We also have two children. And after gaining some perspective on my life and navigating through the darkness of the pain, eight months later, she wanted to come back. I have since taken her back, and I know that my children are happier, and I am too. Yet I often go into moments of trust issues and feeling uncertain about myself. Will this feeling go away? What suggestions do you have to cope with these issues of trust? Thank you, Scott.
2: I'm glad that Scott wrote to us because so many people think that once there's infidelity, that relationships aren't repairable. And he's saying, listen, we really want to work this out. I am happier having her back here. She is happier. Kids are happier. We want to make this work, but we're not quite sure how to do that. And I think it's important for people to see that there can be a path forward depending on the circumstances.
3: Of all the couples I've seen that came to work on their relationship after an affair, the vast majority really do fix their relationship and stay together. And many of them, the relationship becomes stronger and even happier. Of course, this is the majority of people who together are coming to see me to intentionally work on fixing it. So that's definitely a precondition that both people have to be intent on doing that. But it's very possible to repair a relationship after an affair, depending on the circumstances and the people.
2: That's right. You can't heal a relationship on your own. So let's go talk to Scott and see what's going on with him and his wife. Yes. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break.
4: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does
0: Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm Laurie Gottlieb.
3: And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Hi, Scott. Hello. We'd love to start by hearing a little bit of background about the marriage and then how you discovered the affair, what happened thereafter. I've been married for 13 years. We have two children, an
1: 11 and a nine-year-old. A year ago, she was working. She had told me early on in the day that she had a dinner appointment with some clients so she would be late. And it was like 9.30, and I was calling her, and there was just nothing, even text messages. So I used the feature on the phone called Find My Friends, and she was in a residential area. And I just dismissed it as a computer glitch on there. Well, it kept showing up. And I, I, I was fixated on it. I, I, I kept looking at it, and it was still there. Eventually, I did get a call back, and she says, I'm coming home. But I'm following her also on the app, and I see the car drive right by our apartment and go to a mall restaurant area. And then I got another call later on at the restaurant saying, all right, no, no, I'm I'm really leaving now. And in about another 10 minutes, she arrived home. So I just said, Hey, where have you been? And she's like, I was at a restaurant with clients. And then I said, I was on Find My Friend, and I saw that you were at this location. Honestly, Becky, could you just tell me what's going on? She straight up said, I'm sorry. I was with someone, I think she might have even said I've been cheating or something like that. It was just a lot of denial on my part. No, no, I can't believe it. And we talked a lot that night, yet it was very messy in the sense that this person that she was seeing, she worked with. And apparently this language school that our kids were going to, this guy's kids went to that school.
2: Scott, did you suspect that she had been having an affair before that night? Was this a complete shock to you or was there a part of you Mm. that maybe thought something might have been going on? Or when she said it, you thought, oh, this makes sense now.
1: Yeah, I had suspicions. There were times when I went out with friends and she would say, well, then does that mean can I just go out with other people, too? What if it was a date? You know, just kind of remarks.
2: So she didn't trust you? She was making a joke that as if you were on a date? Right,
1: because I often went out with friends, and some of them were female friends. There were guys there, too. And during those moments, she would say things like, well, could I go on a date? I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not okay with that.
3: Did that signal to you the fact that she was asking permission for herself Maybe there's an issue that we need to talk about. Is everything okay in our relationship? Was there a conversation
1: like that that you had with her at that time? There was no
3: conversation
1: after that about that situation.
2: Can you take us back a little farther? You said Mm -hmm. you've been married for 13 years. What was the communication like between you before this? Because when you talk about the interaction, Mm -hmm. about the comment about the date, it seems like Neither of you was willing to say, wait a minute, what are we really talking about here? How do you think the communication was before all this happened?
1: I feel I'm a pretty good communicator. I like to talk. I like to spend time kind of looking at a situation. She often says, oh, it's another lecture. Here we go. She's often looking at the clock going, have you made your point? Are we done? And so it it always leaves me with a kind of bad
3: taste. Scott, usually when someone responds like Becky was responding, it's a sign that she feels that you're doing perhaps too much talking and not enough listening. In those conversations, were you asking her questions? Were you giving her a chance to voice things? It does sound like I was doing most of the talking. I
1: feel I've given her the opportunity to talk She said stuff, but there is no elaboration on it.
2: Before this happened, what were the things that she did tell you when she did speak up in whatever conversations you had over those 13 years?
1: I think one thing that really hurt our relationship was our children in regards to putting them through private schools. I'm a teacher, but she came from a very different philosophy. That's just a lot of wasted money, and it's putting some stress on us. And so those kind of uh, discussions would be very heated. And there was no compromise at the end. That's when I said, I'm going to do this.
3: And we got a little help from my parents just with money. I just want to go back to that night where she comes home and she's telling you that she's been having this affair. Did she say how long it was for that this has been going on? Did you ask? So it's been going on steadily for most of her time at
1: this company. She was promoted and she had to move to the downtown branch. It was very stressful for her. She really didn't like the job. And I guess that's when she started um, having conversations with this person.
2: And How long ago was that?
1: I would say that was going on for about four months. And she told me that her coworker saw her crying. And this guy was a person who she ended up talking with day after day. And that's when the relationship started. So I found that out and a lot of other things clicked into place. She would go to the beach with my kids and she would be like, no, you don't need to go. And I always thought that was a little weird. The kids ended up telling me they would see this person there. Anyway, that night was very difficult and I wanted to work it out.
3: I I believed we could work it out. Was she apologizing? Was she promising she wouldn't see this person again? In other words, what reassurance was she giving you that you wanted to work it out? No, that's that. (sighs) That was the toughest part. She realized that
1: she did something wrong, but it didn't seem to me like she wanted to work this out. The next day, the kids had language school, and I said, you're going to go see this guy there, right? Please let him know everything that went on and that this is over.
2: Scott, when you asked her to tell the guy it was over, had she indicated to you that she was ready to end the affair? Or was this again sort of like the private school thing of this is what I want and this is how we're gonna do it?
1: I would say it's more that. I was just thinking of everything from our kids to, to myself and just everything in our family. And I just couldn't believe that that was going on. Just going back and thinking about it, I definitely pushed her hard to make that decision.
2: Well, it doesn't sound like she made that decision. It sounds like you were asking her to do something that she hadn't come to a place of deciding yet. You're right. And I just want to say, we understand how hard this is and how much your life got upended in that moment when she came home. And even the denial before that where the kids would say, oh, there was this other guy at the beach and (laughs) you didn't inquire. "Um, Well, who is this guy at the beach? when my wife said not to come. So I think that veil of denial was pierced that night. And then you had the reaction many people have, which is let's just fix this and put an end to it without really exploring, does the other person want to fix it? Where are they with it? And it's so hard. So we have so much empathy for what that must have been like. But at the same time, we want you to just notice because I know you're trying to repair this, how sometimes you have an idea about something, whether it's private school or ending the affair, that she might not quite be on board with. And it just echoes that sentiment that you mentioned that she had sometimes of like, are you done with the lecture? And I want to be clear too, that you are not to blame for the affair. Nobody causes someone to have an affair. They make a decision that That is how they're going to handle whatever they're experiencing. It is not the other person's fault that they decided to handle it that way. There are many ways to handle difficulties in relationships. Having an affair is not one that somebody forces somebody to have. Thank you.
3: Okay. Scott, I'll add one thing to that. It's a very strong tendency people have when they're blindsided and heartbroken by finding out in the moment that their partner had an affair To do what you did in terms of saying, okay, then we need to do A, B, C, D, E to fix it. It not only doesn't find out where Becky is in terms of whether she's willing to do that, it gives her an easy out in terms of having to really do the reckoning and really do the exploration. She can just say, okay, fine, and agree to something without even fully agreeing to it. And so it actually lets the other person off the hook when you make those decisions when the impetus for repair the need to want to put things together has to come from the other person and by giving them all the answers you you prevent that yeah you know she took a long time to get back home and
1: she wasn't picking up again so i drove to the parking lot and uh, saw our other car there and i walked over and she was crying actually she was still on the phone with him and I I kind of looked at her and said, what's, what's going on? And she said something like, I'm, I'm sorry. And so in my head, I guess I thought it was over. She was definitely crying and sat The next day I tried to do things that she said she wanted to do. I was like, let's go hiking, let's take the kids hiking.
2: Scott, in your mind, you thought, I'll do things that she likes to do and then we'll just move past this? Or did you think that there would be a process by which you had to understand what had happened with her, with you, with the relationship. In your mind, how are you going to recover from this as a couple?
1: I did think that therapy would be very important. We've never done anything like that before. So I got a recommendation of a therapist and told her, let's do this. And we went. And in general, it was okay until the discussion of school came up again. And she got very angry afterwards and said, I don't want to see her again. By then we had been going for almost two or three weeks. She was sad. She was crying here and there. Shortly after it was Valentine's Day. I wanted to surprise her because she always said, I'm really hungry at work. So I decided I would go to a coffee store, get her some coffee and a sandwich. And I did, drove over. She wasn't there for almost 20 to 30 minutes. And then she finally showed up, very surprised to see me. And
3: that's when I saw that she was with this guy again. If I were listening to who did what after that first night, if I just listened to which of you took which actions, which of you said what, I would have guessed you were the one that had the affair. Because you were the one that was trying to convince her to stay, to repair, to work. You were taking all the initiative. I'll do this for her, I'll find a therapist. These are the actions usually the person who's trying to make up for the affair to convince the other person that they want to repair does and i'm pointing that out because when you're trying to fight for your marriage you cannot do it by yourself and your tendency is to try and do things without her and then to get her agreement to the plan you've laid out and that is not true partnering it's not really working with her it's not really seeing where she is you're hoping that she'll want to be back in the relationship you're pushing and trying to convince her to do that, but you're not actually waiting to inquire, understand whether she is willing, able, wanting to do that.
2: And going along with what Guy said, this whole time that she was crying, I don't think that you wanted to understand why she was crying. And I don't think she was at this place where she knew that she wanted to fix the marriage. That was something you had decided. And... Even when somebody is very clear, I want to fix the marriage, there is some loss and some grief around the affair that they had to end. And it's very hard for the person who was cheated on to have any empathy for that or to even acknowledge it. But she was very sad because she was getting something from this relationship with this person that was meaningful to her, as painful as it was for you. And then she was being asked to give that up when it might have felt like her lifeline at that time. And then there's this guy who listens to her, and she's probably telling him how she feels all the time. And you're saying, I want to save our marriage. I feel devastated by the affair. Let me tell you all about how I'm feeling. But it doesn't sound like there was a lot of curiosity around how are you feeling? Tell me what you're crying about. Tell me what is making you sad. It was, let's go hiking. Let me surprise you on Valentine's Day. All very lovely things, but a misattunement to what she was probably needing. Does that make sense at all now, given where you are?
1: Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. When
3: I asked her, she did say straight up, I miss him. So you're right. Did you ask her directly whether she wanted to give up that relationship and work on the marriage? And did she own that directly, explicitly at that time? Honestly, I I don't feel there was
1: a full conviction behind it. As I'm processing this with you guys, like I, I very much had kind of written the paperwork there and she just kind of checked the box.
3: And probably because part of you felt very worried that if you do ask directly, she might just say, you know what, no. So you avoided asking things that you were afraid you would hear the answer that you didn't want to hear.
1: Yeah, you're right. I didn't want to believe that was going to be an option for us and and our family.
2: Um... When she said after that couple session about the private schools that she didn't want to go back, Mm -hmm. it's very common for people who aren't really sure that they want to be working on the marriage to find something about the couple's work that they don't like and say, I'm done, just because they just don't want to live that double life of inside, I don't know that I want to be working on this. And then I have to go to couples therapy and pretend that I'm invested in this. And so people find a way to get rid of that cognitive dissonance and they generally find one comment, one thing that is wrong with the therapy just so they can get out of it. So they don't have to experience that every week.
1: Yeah. And I'll add this extra thing. After I had caught her at work, I said, could I see your phone? And she held on to it and I just had enough and and left, but I wanted to confront this guy and I went in and I said, Hey, do you know who I am? I was very afraid, but I was running on adrenaline. And he knew who I was. And I said, do you know what you're doing to my marriage? And he said, Becky told me that you guys are going through counseling. And he made it seem like a joke. There was this kind of smirk on his face. He is married, has two children. And he said, well, if you want me to end this, ask Becky. Get her on the phone now. I, I want to hear from her that she doesn't want to be with me.
3: And I said, I'm not doing that, and I walked out. Did it register to you at that moment that he seems to be saying that with a certain amount of confidence in knowing what Becky would say? He was completely confident, yeah. So it occurred to you in that moment that she indeed would make that choice? Yeah, I think I always had that fear.
1: And it was that night when I confronted her about it, that was Valentine's Day, and that's when I knew it was absolutely over. When I asked her, do you still want to make this work? And she basically said, no, I'm done. And we just started to move towards the the official divorce.
2: I have a, a question about the person she was having the affair with. When you were talking with him, did he say that the plan for them was that he was going to leave his marriage and they were going to be together?
1: No, and I I had uh, also talked to to Becky about that. And she said that he was already on the outs with his wife. She even told him at that point that this is not perfect opportunity for us to be together. And he was not sure at first, but eventually they started to to be together.
2: He told his wife about the affair?
1: No, no. Till this day, she knows nothing about it. So what did happen? How did you guys decide to give it a try? It was a good four or five months of divorce lawyers. She had moved out, got her own apartment.
2: How did you tell the kids? Did they have any idea what was going on?
1: They found out the following day.
2: The following day from when you discovered it. When I discovered
1: it. I, I remember this vividly. My older son screamed no really loud. So she had told him despite the fact that I told her not to. What did she tell him exactly? She basically said that mom and dad are not really in love. She didn't say she was with another man, per se, that we were just going to separate.
2: Scott, what I'm hearing here is that, on the one hand, you had said to her, here's how we're going to fix our marriage. Here are the steps we're going to take. And then we're going to go hiking, and I'm going to do these nice things for you. And at the same time, she had told your children, mom and dad aren't in love anymore. So how did you reconcile that in your mind of your idea that you were going to fix the marriage, but her stating to the kids something that I don't know if she said to you? Did she say those words to you or did you hear this through the kids that... She was not in love with you anymore.
1: Once I I heard this kind of commotion going on, I went to the scene and it all started to come out. I was just shocked. I started adding, but we'll work it out. There's a plan. Mommy's going to actually go there now and, and say no. She
2: told them about the affair and with whom it was?
1: Yeah, by then when I had gone down, it all kind of bubbled
3: up. All of that bubbled up all at once. Well, that's a lot of information an 11-year-old shouldn't have. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: What I'm hearing is that she felt so unable to communicate directly with you. And I want to be clear that this is her issue. There was something going on in the marriage that made it hard for her, but also it was her issue that she decided to handle it this way. Where the only way she felt she could be heard was to tell a child. Mm. The only way she could say, here's how I'm really feeling, the only place she had to go in your household was to a child, which is, of course, completely inappropriate.
3: Because the way you responded made her think that you're not listening. You're just focused on making this work when she doesn't really want to. I agree with that
1: guy. I think that's exactly what she was thinking. And what you said, Lori, she probably didn't feel like she... I just didn't want to believe there was any other option except that we were going to make
3: it work. I I did not want to face that reality. So you went through four or five months of going through the first stages of divorce and then you got back together. I'm curious to hear about the getting back together and I'm curious because is this more of you convincing her, talking her into doing something that she's saying yes to but we're not quite sure whether her heart is behind it? How different was the round of getting back together than what we've heard so far. Yeah, this is the part that confuses me the most,
1: honestly. As the months went along, and I was still trying to reconcile, even though the divorce papers were on the way, I said, look, we can still make this work. And it was no, she was seeing this guy regularly. And one day when she was coming to get the kids, she was waiting downstairs and I texted, he's going to be down soon. And the next thing I know, she got in the apartment and she was right at the door. By then, I had kind of reestablished my apartment so I could kind of see it as my space because I was still living in the same place we were living in. Mm -hmm. So I had this kind of mental thing where I didn't want her in that space anymore. So I said, please stay outside. And I more or less shut the door on her. And eventually the kids were ready and they left with her. But I started getting a lot of messages that day and phone calls saying, look, I know you don't want to talk to me. I know you hate me, all of that, but if you would just let me talk to you, and I promise if you don't ever want to talk again, that's fine. And I found that very intriguing. So I texted back, fine, give me a call. And she did.
2: Did you think that she was going to come toward you?
1: Yeah, since we've broken up. It was always very curt, hostile. So I was very intrigued with suddenly this kind of softer, please let me talk to you. And my therapist said, you may never hear these words ever from her. But she said, I'm sorry for everything I've done. I, I know you were hurt. I would like to work it out with you. Could you give me a chance? I was um, shocked to hear that. Because I was in a place where I didn't want to have anything to do with her. It took me so long to get to that place. And quite frankly, I wasn't even quite 100% there. And so when I heard that, I was shocked. And it was the first time where I didn't have to say anything. And I was just listening to her because she was just going, would you take me back? She was asking all of this. So I didn't understand What happened? Did you ask what happened? I said, why do you want to come back? The last time I saw you, I pushed you out. I just don't understand this. She said she talked with her mom about things. Her mom suggested that this would be your only chance if you wanted to have him back to ask now. Then a little deeper stuff came out. She would often feel angry or sad if the guy was with... Sometimes she would be waiting for him and he would be with his wife. There would be moments when they were together and she just couldn't sleep. She always had anxiety issues when she was around him. It wasn't as great as she thought it was and that she ultimately missed me. She even missed the lecture. She said that. I didn't understand it, honestly.
2: You know, when she was with you, she used the other guy to complain about you. And then when she became dissatisfied with him, she called you and complained about him. And what what I would love to hear from her is not the other guy disappointed me. It's, I want to be with you.
1: Right. So I, I had talked to uh, many of my friends, too. So when they mm-hmm. heard about this, one friend made sure to say, are, are you hearing that? Does she want to be with you? And I did hear it here and there, but I don't know if I was completely convinced. I I really told her, I I can't take you back until I think it feels right. And I'm not sure. And that even gave her more anxiety. And there was a point when I couldn't give her assurances that I would take her back. She basically said, I'm I'm just going to go back to him because right now this is adding to my
2: anxiety. So I got a little angry at that. When you say you got a little angry about that. Are you sure it was a little? Because basically what she's saying is, I can't tolerate being alone. Yeah. And so I'm either going to pick him or I'm going to pick you because one of you is going to be my anti-anxiety medication.
1: Yeah. And so I pretty much scoffed at it and said, okay. However, we continued to talk and she wrote me a letter saying everything, apologizing again,
3: and it was a nice letter. Apologizing, yes, but how much was expressed in that letter about I want to be with you as opposed to not the other guy? There was a lot about me.
2: What did she say?
3: She said, I miss you. She
1: listed things that she liked about me. Like what? Things like, I like how you care about the children and take care of everything for me. You do care about me. You have a sense of humor. I enjoy the hobbies that you have. They're quirky but lovable. And there was a lot there, I, I felt. And I think that's why I still have it. It's it's music that I go to every once in a while when things go bad. And I sometimes remind her about it. I said, here, here's what you said. You know, here's the letter. And in that letter, she made promises, to that she would change. And if we wanted to go to therapy, sure. She'll say things like, if you pay, I'll go. <laughs> and i would say, okay, that's fine. But it, it's been a little reluctant on that part.
2: What I'm hearing is that she wants you to do all the work. She'll show up, but you're gonna pay for it. You're gonna take responsibility for it. And
3: find a therapist, you find, you pay.
2: She's not saying I'm equally invested in repairing this marriage. I don't hear that. I hear a lot of, I need to be taken care of. And so I'm gonna pick him or I'm gonna pick you. He's not really available cause he's married and he's not gonna leave and that makes me really mad. And you're available and we have kids together and you make me feel safe, but I don't hear a lot of, wow, I really screwed up here. I hurt you so badly. I want to figure out what hasn't been working between us. I want to figure out what's going on with me, what's going on with you. Let's get to a therapist. Let's share in this experience of repair. We're just pointing that out because we want you to have your eyes open in a way that maybe they hadn't been. Because as you try to fix this together, the success of this endeavor depends fully on how invested the two of you together are in this and for the right reasons.
1: Yeah, part of what, what motivated me to talk with you is I often get into moments of depression and sadness out of the blue it just hits me. It's the strangest things. My sons could be playing a game, a word game, and the person's name kind of comes up because it just so happens the guy's name is a character. Those kind of things trigger me. And there are moments too when she notices that look on my face of just kind of staring maybe blankly or, or it looks sad. And she will come up and say, are you okay? Is there Do you want to talk about it? Is there anything I can do?
3: And do you tell her, yes, I would like to talk about it? Because, Scott, I think that part of your sadness is you decided to give it another go. You haven't done significant work to repair, to build trust, to understand why the events happened and how you avoid them going forward. And so fundamentally, you feel insecure. You mentioned trust in your letter. You don't have a lot of grounds for the trust being restored. So she'll say, are you okay? I want things to be okay. I'm not yet hearing that she's actually willing to do the work necessary to make them okay. And I'm not hearing that you're insisting on that work either.
2: And what I hear both of you doing is you ask a question that you already know what you want the answer to be. So when she says, are you okay, the correct answer is for her, yes, I'm okay. But the true answer is, no, I'm not okay. Affairs can cause profound emotional trauma. It's like PTSD. So you hear the name of the person and all of a sudden you're triggered and you're brought right back into that space. That's a very typical reaction to a betrayal. And so when she says, are you okay? And if you say, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. That's you hiding from her. And I'll bet there are times when she gives you an answer because she knows that it is the expected answer as opposed to the true answer. And if you guys keep having your communication go that way. You're not going to get that deeper sense of who are we to each other? What's going on individually with each other? Because if you want to get closer, that's how you get closer. That's how you make sure that neither of you goes and does other things to deal with your emotions. When we talk about trust, the trust that you really need to restore is, can we trust each other with who we really are?
1: That makes sense. And, and we
3: haven't been going deeper. You nailed it, yeah. My concern is that part of you doesn't yet fully know if she's there because it's convenient or if she's there because she truly wants to repair for the long term. And you haven't asked. And I think that not knowing that is causing you a ton of insecurity, a ton of anxiety. It's making you feel depressed and uncertain because everyone's going through the motions and it feels hollow. This looks like a tableau of a family, but I really don't know if it is, and you don't. My question for you then is, are you at a place where you're willing to go looking for the truth, check out the foundations here before you keep building?
1: Yeah, there is safety in not pursuing the deeper conversation because I'm I'm afraid of what I might hear. I, I do want to get to a point where I can go deeper, so I don't feel this way, so I can
3: have trust again. For you to get to a place where you can trust her, you also have to get to a place where you are willing to ask questions, the answer to which might be very upsetting, but you have to be willing to ask the question. Okay. I'm asking, is that a risk you're willing to take to find out things that you don't want to know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid, but it's a risk I'm willing to take.
2: Because the alternative is that not knowing leaves you vulnerable to not only this question of infidelity, but it leaves you vulnerable to this kind of empty marriage that you won't really have a partner. She'll be there, but you're gonna feel very, very lonely and very alone.
3: I do want to ask one more thing, and that's about, has your sex life resumed? And is that resumed in a manner that's the same, worse, or better than it was?
1: Yes, our sex life has resumed.
3: Earlier on, it was a bit
1: harder for me. It's the thoughts that I had. It was weird. And even now, sometimes during sex, I can go someplace in my mind. And so, yeah, we're intimate. Um...
3: But there are moments. Do you talk about it when that happens? No. She sees it, but she just keeps going. She knows.
1: But again, we don't talk about it.
2: Can I ask why what you're afraid of would happen if you did tell her, hey, this is what's happening for me right now?
1: I am afraid she's going to get angry. I'm afraid she's going to say, I've said I'm sorry.
2: Is there affection between you just in moments during the day? Does, does one of you reach out for the other person's hand and, and I, who initiates that?
1: I, I do that all the time. I laugh because I'm always the one saying, could you hold my hand when we're outside? When we're out and she's not holding my hand, I'm so aware of it since the affair. I mm-hmm. will just notice that. And the worst thing goes in my head. And I would say to her, how come you're not holding my hand? And, she's, and then she kind of laughs and says, oh, just let me know. I'm just fixated on that. I don't know why, but I'm fixated on that.
3: You don't know why? Because you need a ton of reassurance about how she feels towards you, a ton. You're getting very little. And when you're saying to someone who's had an affair, it would really make me feel good if you held my hand a lot, but you have to keep saying it. And she says, I'll hold it whenever you tell me to hold it is really defeating the purpose of what that exercise is about.
2: Before the affair, did she spontaneously hold your hand or were you always the person to initiate that kind of affection? I
1: I feel that was pretty equal. Can I say one more thing in relation to this? I often want to kiss. She says kissing is not her thing. I mean, even early in the relationship, it it was a thing where she was said, I'm not a great kisser. She never really enjoyed that part of it like the holding hands. I like even more of a connection now, and that's one form of it, especially when we're intimate. And she's not very into that. That's when things start brewing in my head and the mood starts to to shift.
3: You wonder if she kissed the other guy and if she enjoyed kissing the other guy. You're nodding, so that is something that you wonder about. You wonder, but you don't ask because you don't want to hear a hurtful response.
2: I wonder if you've been lonely for a long time, too. You know, you're in a marriage where you never really kissed. And that seems to be something that you wanted. And I wonder how much time you've spent thinking about, not so much about how do I keep her and how do I assuage her loneliness, but also what have I not been asking for? And maybe it's time to do that.
1: But I've mentioned it, and again, it, it's, I don't really like it. I'm not really comfortable with it, so I don't feel right in asking her to do that.
3: I think what Laurie's saying to you is that it's time for you to focus on how you feel in the marriage okay. and to focus on getting to a place where you feel better and what would allow you to feel secure and loved and wanted and needed, romantically, sexually, all of it you're so focused on her emotional responses you've taken your eye away from yours scott we have some advice for you and it comes from this place we're both concerned that you and becky are putting in work to get back to where you were before the affair which is not the best place to go back to because that was a place in which the marriage was vulnerable to an affair. You're putting in a lot of work trying to get back to the wrong place and you're not working where you need to work in a way that will actually repair the relationship.
2: Part of doing the work is that you need to know and she needs to know that you're both willing to do the work. And so we want you to talk to Becky this week. And there are a few things that we want you to include as part of that conversation. And they're very specific. The first is that it seems like you feel rightly so uncomfortable that the kids have been involved in what's going on between the two of you. And instead of lecturing her, and I'm using her word there, about, well, from now on, we can't involve the kids in what's going on. I want you to just share with her very briefly. I really want to resolve this between us. And it makes me uncomfortable when we involve the kids. I'm wondering how you feel about both of us making an effort to make sure that whatever goes on between us, that we keep it between us. How does that feel to you? And she may say, well, no, I I don't agree to that. That's just information for you. You're not going to do anything with it right now you're just going to hear how she feels about it so that's the first thing
3: here's the second and we're suggesting this because we think you need to be able to demonstrate to yourself that you can do the work as well by not shying away from questions to which you might hear upsetting answers and so we would like you to ask her first so that you can get to practice asking difficult questions, but second, to see how she reacts, because we also want to see that she understands what doing real work means. We would like you to say to her, and I have a couple of questions I wanna ask you. I want to know when you were with the other guy, did you kiss him when you were having sex? And I know that's a difficult question for you to ask, and it might be a difficult answer to hear, but it's the kind of question you have in your head And those are the kinds of questions you have to be able to talk about to be able to move on. And she has to be able to tolerate.
2: And and maybe you can preface that by saying, part of having the kind of relationship that we want to have means that we can have these hard conversations. And so as painful as it might be for me to hear the truth, it will be so much better for us. If I have the truth, it gives us a place
3: to go. Exactly. And and I would emphasize that the idea of having these conversations is so that you can truly move on rather than pretending to move on when all these questions are still in your head.
2: And then we'd like to have you ask her one more hard question. And I think this question is something that's there all the time in your mind, but you just haven't voiced. And you can preface it again by saying, we can't move forward in any real way without the truth. And the question is, If the person that you've been having this affair with were to say to you tomorrow, I'm leaving my wife, would you get in the car and go to him? And then you just stop talking. I think part of asking these questions is not filling in the the space because there might be just a, a quiet space there where she doesn't know what to do with it. Just stop talking. Just wait patiently
3: however long it takes for her to respond.
2: Just keep breathing. Whatever she does with these questions will give you such valuable information that you just don't have right now. Even if she doesn't answer the question, that's information. How she answers the question, that's information. And it's good information to have. It will create a healthier dynamic between the two of you no matter what happens.
3: That sounds good. There is one last thing. We think it's imperative that you guys have these conversations with a therapist. These are extraordinarily difficult conversations to have, other than those three things that we mentioned. We do think you need to be in couples therapy. We think you should say to her, you didn't like the last therapist we went to, but we really need to do this work with somebody trained who can help us. I would like you to find someone, take 72 hours, and call as many people as you need until you find someone who calls back or you feel comfortable with. Set up an appointment for us. I'd like for you to do that so you're choosing someone you feel comfortable with. And set up an appointment within 72 hours so I can have a sense that you're seriously willing to work on making things better for the long term. Okay. Okay. Tell us how you're feeling
1: about all of this. Uh, I find them to be very interesting and I'm willing to do that. I think they will give me a lot of information and I'm totally okay with that, actually. Good. Yeah.
2: When you bring up the idea of the therapist, we don't want it to sound like you're directing things and it's a lecture. So I want you to say to her, I'm not sure I can stay with you if we don't go and see a therapist. You're just telling her something about you. I don't know that I will be able to manage this if we don't do this.
1: If she says, why don't you make the call? I'll go, but you make the call. I'm just curious, Scott. If she said that, how would you respond? I may say, I would love to see you make the call because that would show me that you care about our relationship.
3: I would say, because that would show me that you are really interested in doing the work we need to do to fix our relationship.
2: I might even say one of the things that I've come to realize is that maybe what I wanted was not always what you wanted. And if you make the call, that would indicate in some way that you wanted this.
3: Got it. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Scott. We look forward to hearing back from you and we wish you luck. When I see a couple, I always let them know that my client is their relationship, that I will be advocating for the relationship. And even though we were just talking with Scott, I think both of us had this idea of they're trying to repair, let's really see what can make this relationship actually work. And the dilemma that we had was that we know that they have to have these difficult conversations if they're going to have a chance at succeeding. And we also know that having them can lead to their breakup. And so it's this dilemma of, do you recommend the thing that the people have to have in order to succeed, even though there's a high risk involved in doing it?
2: That's right. And when you say we advocate for the relationship, I want to be clear that we advocate for the relationship when both people are on board and say they want to repair the relationship. We don't do that when those conditions aren't met. And I think the other thing is we're advocating for the relationship in the sense of, even if this marriage doesn't work out because they do find that they're not able to do this kind of work together or have the kind of marriage that both of them want. They're going to be co-parents no matter what. So Mm -hmm. we want them to come to a place that's not about slamming the door in someone's face. We want them to come to a place of, we have an understanding despite all of the pain. And I think what you said is so true that as therapists, we have this dilemma We know that the relationship can't survive without the truth. But we also know that the truth often comes with a lot of pain in the short term. But in the long term, it's what provides the relief.
3: Right. And if they can't tolerate it in the short term, they're not going to get to the long term. So find out now rather than later.
2: Yeah, it feels like they're never going to move past this place of uncertainty if they don't start doing this kind of work. I I really liked what you said earlier about it seemed like he was the one who had the affair and was trying to repair it um, Mm -hmm. because he's doing so much and she's doing so little, Mm -hmm. which is often what happens in the reverse.
3: But I think even though she's trying to just move forward and pretend things are okay, she also has that feeling of deep insecurity somewhere that she knows that things are unstable because they never really got to it. And so I think there would be a part of her that would feel comforted if she was able to, and if he's able to, really dive in and do the hard work.
2: It seems like what she really wants on some level that she hasn't felt she had is a sense of emotional safety. Before the affair, she felt like Scott would sort of lecture her, talk over her, and maybe there wasn't enough space for Mm -hmm. her. And then she goes to this other guy, and, well, it's not really safe because he can't talk to her because he's with his wife and he's actually not going to leave... And she seems to then go back to Scott because somehow she feels like she's going to have this emotional safety with him, but there's not emotional safety in that relationship at all because there's so much that is just living in the air between them that they are not discussing. For both of them, it will be kind of a reckoning of where do I stand in terms of what I want and what I'm willing to do to repair this relationship.
3: Yeah, I'm thinking of what I say sometimes to couples and that is that It is very brave of you after an affair to come to see me to do the work of repair because it's very difficult. You're showing up knowing that these are going to be painful conversations and I really appreciate that you're both here with that in mind and I hope they're both going to be brave enough to do that. I do too. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break.
2: So Guy, we heard back from Scott, and we had given him the task of asking some difficult questions that he had been afraid to ask, and then also making a hard request. So let's hear what happened.
1: Hi, Guy and Lori. This is Scott. So I did ask the three questions. The first question, it was relatively easy. I think we really, at this point, have been on the same page about keeping our issues between ourselves. And so she didn't have a problem at all. The second question was not as easy. She took a while to answer and it was very uncomfortable for me, but she did say that she did kiss him and that she had wanted to. And actually it, led to a lot of awkward uh, moments right after that where I was feeling a lot of things, jealousy, a bit of anger, a bit of why is it so hard to kiss me? And it troubled her also that I asked that. And it, it was very difficult. But I moved along to the third question, which was, if he were to leave, what would she do? And she said that, no, she wouldn't, that she doesn't want to hurt anybody anymore. And it did lead to a very open conversation about why she came back, that she had done it for the kids. And at that point, she got a little doubtful about everything. I don't know if I can continue like this. These are very hard questions. It's very uncomfortable. and. I told her I would like for uh, you to call a therapist, make an appointment for us. And she ultimately said she wouldn't and that she doesn't even really want to see a therapist. Things really just did not end well there. Honestly, I thought it was over. It seemed like things were just going to uh, implode at that point. I felt really bad. I, I couldn't eat. I really felt that our marriage was just going to fall apart. Interestingly, the next day, I talked with her and I said again, if we want to move forward, it's very important that we do see a therapist together, that this won't be about who's right and who's wrong. I I think she was very much afraid she would always be cast in negative way but I tried to reassure that wouldn't be the case It, it would be about us and working together there would be difficult things brought up but we're working together and she said look I'm not really good at finding someone but I would be okay if you found someone and I'll go I was very happy to hear that and i in the process right now of getting some references and we'll be making an appointment for us. She seemed like this is going to be hard for me, but I do want what's best. And she was willing to, to do
3: it. So thank you very much. So kudos to Scott for asking those really difficult questions. I have to say I was disappointed when I heard the answers Becky gave. Because saying, I came back really for the kids, yes, I kissed him and I wanted to, which was kind of what we suspected. But if she added any affirmation or validation to him afterwards, but I care about you, I love you, it wasn't mentioned. And I kind of think it wasn't mentioned because it wasn't there. And her reluctance to go to therapy was another red flag for me. I think she wants to be in it for the family. I just don't know if she's in it for Scott.
2: I very much felt the same way. My my heart ached for him when I was listening to his response because I think there's a part of him that still is in denial about this. I agree. Which is to be expected. He loves her. He wants the marriage to work. He's just hurting so much. And she eventually, the next day, agreed to go to therapy again if Scott found the therapist, meaning... I'm sure she would be capable of doing so. Uh, She doesn't really want to put in the effort. And the reason that she gave for going was it's the right thing to do. It's not, I really love you, and we need to figure out what's going on and try to see what's here. I'm not hearing any of that from her. And what I am hearing from Scott is this passivity where he said, I really thought the marriage was over after the first set of questions, but he didn't really go inside and say, given these answers, what do I want?
3: We gave him that task because we wanted him to hear the hard answers and be realistic about, is this enough for him? Can he get his needs met in this situation? So he asked the hard questions, he got the hard answers, and then he softballed his response to those hard answers. So I am concerned that he's not going to be able to get what he wants. And I hope that at least with the therapy, that will be able to be clarified.
2: Right. I mean, I think that the most painful answer that she gave, and it was honest, so good for her for being honest. But the painful answer was, if the person she had the affair with were to leave his wife, would you go with him? And her answer was no, but the because was the Mm -hmm. hard part. She said, because she doesn't want to hurt anyone anymore. Right. It wasn't because I want to be with you. It had nothing to do with him really. It was about not hurting him, but it wasn't about whether she desired to
3: be with him. I don't want to hurt you means I don't really want to be here. I'm doing it for the kids. It's just not a motivation that can sustain a relationship.
2: I think if we were to have two columns and one column was what Scott heard and the other column is what we heard. Mm-hmm. So the answer to the first question, I think the columns would be the same, that will keep the kids out of these discussions, which is good. The answer to the second question, whether she had kissed the other guy, what Scott heard was, what's wrong with me? Why is it so hard to kiss me?
3: He was asking himself and actually not answering himself and not saying, I guess she doesn't care about me enough, but just not answering the question. Right. And for
2: the third question, which is about whether she would leave, he heard, oh, she would stay. Mm -hmm. And what we heard was she would stay out of obligation.
3: Right.
2: And for the therapist question, what he heard was, well, optimistically, the next day she said she would go to therapy and I'm getting names and I'm going to make an appointment. And what we heard was she is not willing to put in the effort and the energy to do the kind of work that would make this marriage be a true marriage and not a surface marriage or a marriage where you're at risk again of this kind of thing happening.
3: He is going to have to be honest with himself and face the difficult truths and in therapy continue to ask difficult questions and maybe with the help of the therapist listen to the answer objectively rather than optimistically because I do think he's the kind of person who can absolutely find someone who truly cares for him. He's a very giving person, and I think he can find another very giving person to be with, but he has to finish with this relationship first.
2: I'm very optimistic about his ability to find a satisfying relationship where it's reciprocal, where the love is there both ways. One thing he said at the end that I felt optimistic about was when he said, I realized that I can't be afraid of asking the difficult questions. And he felt some relief that he had asked these questions, even though he really hasn't taken in the answers yet. And I think that that will bode well both for the therapy that they're going to do, because he'll see very quickly whether Becky is willing to engage with those difficult questions. And if not, that will give him some answers much sooner than if they just did status quo at home without going to the therapist. And if they don't end up together, that will serve him well in the next relationship he finds himself in.
3: Hey, fellow travelers, if you've used any of our advice from the podcast in your own life, Send us a quick voice memo to Lori and Guy at iheartmedia.com and tell us about it. We may include it in a future show.
2: And if you're enjoying our podcast each week, please help support Dear Therapists. You can tell your friends about it, and we'd be so grateful if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help people find the show. You can follow us both online. I'm at lauriegotlieb.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at lorigottlieb one. Or on Instagram at Lori Gottlieb underscore author.
3: And I'm at guywinch.com. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at guywinch. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big or small, email us at Lori and Guy at iHeartMedia.com.
2: Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Special thanks to Samuel Benefield and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. And next week, A woman faces her first holiday season after a difficult divorce.
4: It was really stressful to be going back and forth and to not know. I think I sort of became numb to it.
2: Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth.